0: Welcome back to and I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams Church, filling in for Tom Brown today. My guest is Bill Grove. Bill Grove's a PGA professional who managed the TPC for many years. And and Bill, tell us the story of how that tournament, which was just sort of like a, not a minor, it wasn't a major, but it became the largest tournament in the world with with a great reputation. How'd that happen?
1: Well, it uh... Nothing happens by accident, and, and I guess in this particular case, uh, I'll, I would say there's a lot of credit to be given, first of all, to the Phoenix Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of people uh, really misjudge some of their...
0: Uh, <laughs> just because they're wild and crazy guys. Yeah, you just
1: because <laughs> they're wild and crazy guys. Everybody misjudges what's go- what goes on with them, but... Uh, they're guys that are not measured by their egos. They're measured by the size of their hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that their intentions all along – I mean, they like to have a good time. Certainly it's fun. But uh, in 19 in, – in, I'd say in the middle 80s, uh, the tournament ha- had pretty much outgrown Phoenix Country Club. And, mm-hmm. and they were looking for – uh, another place uh, uh, maybe to build a golf course to go to another area that they could uh, support the crowds in. and uh, uh, at the time PGA Tour landed on a, a particular property in the preserve in, in Phoenix and uh, unfortunately got voted down but to Scottsdale's good fortune uh, Mayor Herb Drinkwater heard that it had and, and the, the night the morning after it got voted down he called uh reached dean beeman in his motel room and and uh, asked to speak to him and and uh, within two days
0: TPC, they had a deal <laughs> tpc scottsdale
1: i mean it, wow. it it uh it turned just like that that quick and and the land was was uh, floodplain land uh-huh. and it was uh leased from the federal government the b.o.r they had a hand in that and and city went to the b.o.r and said you know, we'd like to build a golf course here. And the BOR looked at him and said, wow, you're kidding me. <laughs> you think so? And, and there was a gentleman named Bob Michaels. Bob mm. has passed away, but uh, a dear friend and, uh, of not only uh, uh, TPC, but the PGA Tour and what goes on there. And they said yes and held the first tournament in 1987. 280-some thousand people attended that first golf
0: tournament. Wow. Which is bigger than most every other tournament already. Just no, th- exactly. So uh,
1: that eclipses pretty much anything that goes on anywhere else is, when it comes to golf.
0: And now you guys have grown it to over 500,000.
1: Uh, I think the record is 570-some thousand <laughs> for <laughs> week's
0: time. So, okay, I'll, I'll ask you a bit more about that. But um, first, let us let's back up a little bit. You have some kind of a management philosophy. You obviously have a gift of administration, um, but you have a management philosophy that allows your guys to—it to, to it brings the best out of people, and it allows them to find their place in an organization and uh, have high standards. Tell us about your philosophy, because it's a ministry as well as a business.
1: Uh, I was very lucky, Pastor Mark, to— be interviewed and be hired by the pga tour and and i was working for myself at that time and and uh uh, my i guess my decision was based on gee these guys want to do things like i think they should be done and and uh i won't work for myself anymore i work for them and i have all these other benefits and i'll get to work at some of the finest clubs and in the world so why not go to work for them and and their philosophy and my philosophy blended a great deal Mm -hmm. Uh, it's all about excellence. It's all about excellence in, in your personal uh, attention to people. It's all, all, all about excellence in how you take care of your facility. Uh, and it's really, I, I guess, to break it down in, uh, <laughs> in my redneck ease or my North Carolina sense, it's doing the right thing consistently mm-hmm. and being able to explain the right thing. Uh, my dad was... Uh, Uh, a very plain and simple uh, disciplinarian, and if you asked a question and he said no and you said why, it was because I said so. Mm -hmm. I I learned a little bit from that. I wasn't spiritually mature enough to understand why he said no, but what I learned is that the explanation would be helpful given to people about what what and why we're doing certain things. And if you're consistent and if you train properly— and if you're consistent in your training and you, you don't correct, but you encourage and reinforce, then you get people to respect you. And when people respect you, then things tend to be a little bit easier to manage mm-hmm. and, and people tend to be a little bit easier to mold and to blend and to move in the direction that you want them to go in.
0: So you're, you're using positive reinforcement to give them a vision to bring the best out of them.
1: No, no question about it. There's, there's, and, and for those of you who are listening who are in the corporate world, there's a thing called a corrective action. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you bring an employee in an office and you tell them the things that they've done wrong and you, you, you make a memory of that by writing it out mm-hmm. and, and you get them to sign it. To me... I changed the name of it and called it a successful action. Mm -hmm. And I pointed out things that we liked about that individual and why they were still employed there. And at the end, I would mention the two or three things that I'd like for them to work on in order to achieve the next level that they want to get to. And it seemed to work a great deal.
0: That's neat. That reminds me of... um Breaking a horse, you know, in the old days they used to beat them and wrestle them and fight them, and they learned you can just sort of walk them around in circles until they <laughs> finally get the message that you're in charge, not them, and and you can accomplish a whole lot more, a whole lot easier, and you become friends with the horse rather than uh, That's, you know manhandling. That, that the sounds whole. familiar. That yeah. sounds
1: very familiar.
0: Um, yesterday, I, I wanna flashback to before our service at 11 o'clock you came up and laid hands on me and prayed for me and gave me a blessing and it was wonderful bill because i just felt a release of grace in that service and that was the third service of our weekend and it was really really special you're a man who believes in prayer and uh god responds when you pray talk to us how you became became someone who was comfortable with prayer
1: uh I think it goes back to uh, a pretty dark day for me in 1990. Uh, <clears throat> I had taken my wife, Debbie, to have an MRI done uh, on her uh, brain. And uh, unfortunately, the MRI came back showing a tumor. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the right-hand side of her skull. And uh, I walked her to the car, and I came back in the office, and I asked the individual to let me see the pictures. And he took the pictures out, and he showed them. He said, you need to go back to your doctor right now. And I said, okay. So I saw the tumor, and I put the tumor in the, in the, uh, pictures in the, in the envelope. And I started walking out of the, uh, office in the waiting room. And I don't know, Pastor Mark, if there were people there or not. I'm, I, I just was in a different state. And I remember saying right then, Lord, this is outside of my control. If you're the God you say you are, I give everything here to you because this is nothing that I can handle. And before I got to the door, someone came up behind me and clothed me in a cloak of peace. I walked through that door and on the other side, out into the outside, I have never felt assurance that by my simple prayer and by my simple faith that God was going to handle that. Mm -hmm. And he did. And she was healed. And uh, since that day, I trust God. Amen. And I know God is plentiful and we are needy. And I learned a lot about prayer after that by reading a lot of David's mm-hmm. prayers and psalms. And it's, to me, it's being honest with God, telling him your heart because he knows it. He just wants to hear it from you and to create that relationship with him. And then as I, I later learned that prayer according to his word is that much more powerful Because it says in Isaiah that he sent it to accomplish its purpose. Yes. That it would never return void. So my prayers were directed in that manner. And over the years, Pastor Mark, God has blown me away with his favor and his blessing.
0: Amen and amen. And you've had some setbacks or some heartbreaks. Um, Lazarus was raised from the dead, and he eventually went to be with the Lord. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. She's not alive anymore. Everybody has a, a shelf life, if you will. We're all gonna be with the <laughs> Lord one of these days. And, uh, and you had 20 some great years more with Debbie. 25. And, uh, and then she went to be with the Lord. Yes, she did. And that's been something that's been probably one of the toughest things of your life, hasn't it?
1: Uh, no doubt. Uh, I retired in February of 2013 uh, with my whole retirement in front of me and our life uh, to live together and within I'd say 45 days after retirement uh, I become a caregiver she's diagnosed with ALS and she's in a wheelchair
0: And Bill, I want to commend you for that season of life, too, and I know it's even hard to talk about it, but you laid down your life for your wife. Yes. You were there with her. You guys bonded in a way that many people never experience, and I just want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. Thank you. My guest is Bill Grove. We're going to continue this discussion in a minute. Stay tuned to and I'm Mark Buckley. We'll be right back after this.